We are the School of Canine Science and this is Scent for Six. This week we'll introduce our target odour to the dogs, but as always I'm going to give you three different methods and discuss the pros and cons of each. The first is using the scent containment Experienced device. Experienced bloodhounds had a success rate of 96% with no false indications. This is ludicrously high and yet German Shepherds, Labradors, Spaniels and Collies remain the dog of choice for scent work. So why is that? Perhaps it's not just about genetics and hardware, what about the so trends in order in to be perceived as scent, the odour molecule must be dissolvable. Why? Because when it lands on the mucous membrane of the epithelium covering those turbinates, it needs to be dissolved at this stage for the cilia to pick up the signal and carry The benefit on. of increasing the dog's sniffing frequency through this exercise isn't solely to improve their detection fitness, but more importantly, allows them the opportunity to practice. Errors in handling creating false indication, but here's the thing. In 2014, a group of scientists got together to have a look at the impact of stress on the performance of explosive detection dogs. The first thing the researchers did was... I wish toxicity was that simple, but it's just not black and white like people think it is. Ultimately, everything is toxic. If you want to understand this properly, we need to start with the fundamental concept of LD50, the median lethal dose. To learn more about this one-of-a-kind olfaction course, check out canilescience.online or click the link in the show notes for a 20% discount. Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of Canine's Talking Sense. What I want to do uh, is before I introduce who this guest is going to be, I want to start a new thing with each episode. I want to do a topic of discussion for each episode. Um... People can email me ideas of a topic that we can uh, discuss in the intro to a show. Uh, I'm also going to do some updates between episodes, uh, things that are relevant that have come up on social media and things like that. So in that theme, what I want to do for this episode is science in the canine world and what the benefits and things like that are, what we see today, thanks to the ability to share information via video or social media platforms or things like that, is that we can share scientific data, we can share research, we can share um, just ideas based off what we've seen in science, and that is a great thing. It is also the worst thing. Those exact same things, the ease of information to be shared on social media and on videos and reading research and things like that, can also be a difficult thing to navigate because a lot of things may contradict. Or you have individuals who pop up who share information uh, based off of scientific research but may or may not have experience in the actual working of dogs uh, in those applications. So... The tough thing that we deal with today uh, is that ease of sharing of information, but like I said, it is a great thing. Um, what I implore people to do is take in all the information, but also vet who the information comes from. So 
you want a well-rounded individual who is sharing information, somebody who's a practitioner who's out there working the dogs um, in that realm in which you are going to apply this information from. So you want somebody for us on this podcast is mostly towards detection, somebody who has extensive experience in working and training detection dogs. And then if there's information to be shared via the academic world or uh, something that's come up in research uh, in the scientific community, um, how that applies to what we do with detection dogs. And there's lots of great resources. There's also stuff that is sometimes not necessarily 100% related to detection dogs, but it's still helpful. So as we progress as a working dog community in detection, I love the fact that we have a lot more scientific information at our fingertips, but what we also need to do is do a good job at kind of vetting the information. And myself, I have shared various research topics before, uh, some of which uh, has been helpful and sometimes confusing by some of the times I get emails going, wait a second, I've read this and it says that. And all this other time, another uh, bit of research or something they've read said something else. And Nathan did a good job of covering what happens about that on the episode I did with him on episode 21. So with that said, uh, it's just important that, like I said, we want to make sure we as a community do a good job of taking in that information, vetting the information source, and then digesting that information to see how it best applies to what we do. Uh, obviously, some of us are professionals in the fact that we work a detection dog and we get paid to do that, so it's your bomb, drug, and so on. Um, those of us that are in the sport world, we pay to work our dogs and we have instructors or coaches who help us. And... Science information actually applies to both worlds, the hobbyist and the uh, professional. So all I'm saying is at the end of the day, let's talk about things. If you guys have questions, obviously this show ends up being a great resource due to the uh, wonderful guests that I get to have on here and their backgrounds in the academic and research side and then the collaboration that they have with the practitioners uh, in the working dog world to help validate or proof sometimes the research that they find. So, and on that note, we have the Canines Talking Sense webinars. Uh, the webinars have already started. We have done uh, a couple now with Dr. Nathan Hall. Uh, if you haven't caught those, you can always email me, Cameron at FordCanine.com, and I will get you the episodes that you missed and uh, then pay attention to my social media feeds as I will always post one week out before the next webinar that comes up. Now, in addition to Nathan Hall, there's going to be another webinar, and this one will be with Dr. Michelle Mon. She is the one who created the training aid delivery devices. If everybody remembers those glass jars with the membrane that allows odor out, but protects the substance inside the jar from getting contaminated from outside odors. Uh, you can even wash these jars off with the substance inside and it won't get wet. Uh, well, she's going to do an episode with us on odor containment and contamination, and stay tuned for that. Also, in the update aspect of the show, uh, the 2020 schedule 
for the Ford K9 seminars and the Silver State Training Academy in Las Vegas. Those calendars have been updated through the end of the year. Uh, occasionally we might make some changes, but at least now if you go to the silverstatek9.com website or the fordk9.com website and go to the calendars, you will see a updated version of what's going on, uh, both for me traveling and what is going on in Las Vegas. Also, I've been asked a few times about uh, some video and phone consulting and coaching and I definitely do this. It is set up by appointment only. If you want more information on how we can collaborate and do some coaching or do some consulting on the professional side when it comes to some of the detection dog work and training and problem solving, again, the usual email, Cameron at FordK9.com, and we will put something together where I can assist you with those kind of things. Um, With that said... The guest of this show follows along the theme that I had on the last episode, which is raising dogs to become detection dogs. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. The importance that we have to start doing is producing the dogs in the United States that we need for our needs. So... You know, as many of you know, on the professional side, a lot of the dogs that we get, we import from Europe through a vendor, and then that vendor resells that dog to the agency uh, to be their detection dog. The demand for detection dogs only increases every year. So we have to do better about, we have the genetics here in the United States. We have many good dogs available to breed with and produce very viable Uh, dogs for the future for us to use. We have people in the United States that have extensive knowledge and know how to do this. What we lack is a process. So the episode with Pat Nolan that just aired prior to this one, uh, Pat and I talk about some of the process involved in raising puppies. Well, this episode, I sit down with Tim Baird of 5B Farms and Tim talks about what he's got going on. And Tim has a amazing program set up at the 5B Farms. He has Labradors from nine months old down to weeks old. I believe by the time this podcast airs, he has anywhere between 60 to 70 Labradors on the ground at any given time. So in those age ranges, he is showing that we can do this. You just need a clear process of how to raise these dogs. Now, of course, we know not every puppy from a litter will go on to be a viable detection dog in the professional industry, but there are still many other uses that the other puppies who do not go on to be a professional detection dog can go do, whether it be a therapy dog, whether it be a dog as a sport dog in some other program, There are many other aspects where these dogs go to. Um, And in doing it the way that Tim discusses on this episode makes it cost effective. It doesn't mean you have to have 60 to 80 dogs. I've already traveled now around the United States. I've met with uh, breeders for pointers, breeders for Labradors, who all share the common goal of helping produce better working dogs for us here as professional handlers in the United States. 
and we can do it, but we have to start working together and create a efficient process and how to do that. So between these podcasts, uh, in addition to webinars coming up and then me traveling around showing you guys through seminars, canine cognitive testing for puppies that helps identify certain attributes or traits with these young dogs that might help us better in selecting which ones go on to be professionals. So whether you be a detection dog professional or search and rescue or any other type of program, following these protocols and these simple but basic uh, testing processes that help us learn that dog's mind will make us better about how to prepare or where to kind of steer this particular puppy to in its career. So there'll be more episodes coming up. I'll be doing episodes with Dr. Evan McLean, who's been extensively doing puppy cognition. This is where I learned it from, between him and and Brian Hare from Duke. Um, Our whole goal is to share with all of you guys either through the podcast, the webinars, or in seminars where we come to you, we will do this. We can do this. We will all collaborate. We are more than happy to collaborate. I am, especially to ensure that we create a process that is sound in creating puppy to detection dog. And I know there's already the United States has the uh, uh, AKC as a body uh, in which this is starting to happen, but we can't always have one thing. Um, and sometimes it's just good to use platforms like this to share information to help uh, individuals out there who want to uh, raise dogs to become professional detection dogs. And if they can't, for whatever reason, uh, join the organization or the organization has a shortfall and something happens to that, we need to be prepared no matter what. So this is what this is all about. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Tim Baird. As usual, uh, I in- encourage your feedback. I hope to hear back from many of you guys from this episode. Uh, anybody who's wanting more information on how to raise that puppy to detection dog, please email me. And again, that email, as usual, is Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K, the number nine, dot com. And without any further delay, move on to the episode with my guest, Tim Baird. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Canines Talking Sense. Once again, out here at Scent City, Las Vegas, at the Silver State Canine Training Center, I have another visitor in town that was here for the rodeo, Tim Baird. Tim and I uh, have become friends for, you know, mostly through social media initially, and now we've got to hang out a few times and uh, have such a uh, lined up uh, understanding and belief on dogs and training. And so we became fast friends and have that uh, same passion for, for dogs. So I wanted to have Tim on this episode, and I can't wait to discuss some of the things that we've done in person about young dogs, raising dogs. But first, I want to introduce Tim, and Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cameron. I appreciate it. So let some of the listeners know your background. I know many probably know who you are, but for those that don't, just you know, kind of tell us your story. Okay. Well, uh, 
as a young young guy, I was uh, always messing with dogs when I was a kid, hunting dogs and, and, and did those type of things. And I went to a 4-H camp one time, and I seen a canine officer. Mm-hmm. And I went, holy mackerel, that's what I want to do. I always wanted to be a cop. and seen a canine guy, and then, so I ran in that direction. Um, I, I was in law enforcement for 10 years, uh, did that, and then uh, I went to work for Auburn University, mm-hmm. uh, Canine Detection Training Center, when they opened up their facility. He was the chief instructor there. Mm-hmm. I ran that. Uh, for a little over almost 11 years and wow. then uh, went from there with that technology and all that. And then we Auburn partnered up with the company called ITC Capital Partners mm-hmm. and uh, did it with those guys for seven years. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been a few years. And now you have your own place, 5B Farms. Yes, I do. And yeah. uh, tell us about what you're, what you're building out there and what you got going on. Well, uh Cameron, you know, for four months out of the year, I'm traveling around the world looking for dogs. Yeah. And uh, because the the industry uh, is wanting floppy ear dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and I really believe that's where it's going to in all single-purpose dogs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to Europe, South America, across the United States looking for those type of dogs. And I was going, hey, I've, I've done several litters before. Uh, I always said by the time I was a certain age, I was working for myself mm-hmm. or uh, – and so I went ahead and made the jump, and now I'm raising Labrador Retrievers to be single-purpose dogs. And I know you kind of skimmed over it, but you know I know the backstory. You got a lot of experience in raising the dogs and and uh, seeing a puppy program that Auburn had, and the importance that you got exposed to with the science and psychology and understanding of the dog's mind and dog behaviors, and and then best practices in a way, if you want to call it that, for how to raise a young dog um, with the best ways possible to keep the most important thing that like we were talking about earlier, the humans out of the equation. And how important is it to uh, the main quality there to for the dog for self-discovery and for learning? Oh, man. You know, uh, I'm a big component. I, I love self-discovery because, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of our training in that method that we're taking us out of it and, uh, and the dogs are operating on their own because, you know, in the field, that's really what you want. You don't want the handler involved with it as, as much as possible and to have that independence. And we do, we create a lot of our training and our raising of our puppies around that, mm-hmm. uh, with our confidence courses and, and things like that, that the dog has those self discoveries. Uh, that way they're out there, they're, they're learning how to get over obstacles and, mm-hmm. and even, you know, sometimes we'll place their toys out there and all of a sudden, whoa, hey, there it is. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that, I think that's the path that, that, that we're, we're moving at and, and the wave of the future is mm-hmm. to build that more independent dog. Yeah, for sure. And you, so like I said, you, you had your background, uh, you're with Auburn, and then you're with the, the, you know, the private sector doing the kind of same kind of thing. And you, and you also did stuff with TSA and looking for dogs, you know, in those pro kind of programs. How important is it for us, like a facility like you're building now, to start becoming more self-sustaining and self-sufficient for our own dogs here in the United States? Oh, I think it's huge. You know, uh, how, how much money does vendors spend overseas all the time for these dogs? Mm-hmm. You know, the government's mandated that uh, that they buy American first. Yep. And so, uh, you know, I, I was one of the things I looked at is that uh, with – with that type of deal is, hey, if they're mandated to do it, why can't I be the guy to do it? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, a lot of breeders out there are looking at, they're wanting in on that and they're breeding, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a litter and they're they're going, they got to have the big picture. They got to yeah. look at the big picture of it that uh, 
it's going to be a long haul. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you can't sustain by one litter. Yeah. You know, we have 52 dogs right now. Yeah. Um, by this time next year, we'll probably have 150 to 170 dogs. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's going to take time and, and uh, some backing to be able to, to sure. do those day, sure. things and raise those dogs. But, you know, why, why not have the place here in the United States, like mm-hmm. when we go overseas and you go into a place and, and you can test 30, 40 dogs or whatever you need there. Mm-hmm. Why not be able to do it here in the United States? And we hope to be able to the, the place uh, in Alabama where they can come and, and be able to look at 50 Labrador retrievers right here in the United States. Yeah, for, and the common argument that gets thrown out there is, oh, that's not cost effective. You're going to waste so much time and only two pups, maybe one pup in a litter comes out. And I've always thrown out, if that was really the math, then why is it working in Europe and not here? But what would you say to a question like that or the comments like that where people are like, oh, it's just not, you can't do that because it's, there's the, the ratio of success is so low? Well, uh, a little bit with my background is, is I know the Labrador breedings. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the right breedings first. Yep. And, you know, that that's the, the big thing. we got to have the right breedings to do what we're doing. Uh, in Europe, and if you talk to those guys and you really know them, those dogs sit in kennels until they're probably about 10 months old. And then they start getting them ready. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything else with them. Yeah. Uh, so we're, what we're doing is uh, we have a program, uh, that we are working with. And so let's say at day 52, this dog did this mm-hmm. aspect. The next litter, when he gets to day 52, he's doing the same thing. Sure. But if really in the, in the realm that I'm doing, if I spend more than 10 minutes a dog mm-hmm. a day, mm-hmm. I couldn't get done what I need to be done. Sure. And, and so it's, it's one of those things that you have to manage your time. You yep. have to have a game plan. And when we're out here working dogs, uh, the adult dogs, we may change things up because this dog doesn't work different. What I'm trying to design and what we're doing is working with a program that you will get a piece of paper and it says that day 52, this is what you do. Yeah. And, and then we'll groom it from there after we do a year of this mm-hmm. research pilot mm-hmm. project that we're doing. Uh, and, uh, then, I think sustainable, but I think people, some people put too much time into it. Mm-hmm. And then you have dogs that say, Hey, this really isn't even fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you got to keep it fun for them and, yep. and, but challenge them also. Yep. But you know, you can't make money at this if you're going to spend hours a day with each dog. It's sure. just impossible. Yeah. No. And I, it's a back to economics. Yes. It's, it's a numbers game. Yes. You know, if you're low quality or not low, low numbers yeah. and you expect to make max amount of money on that low number, it's not going to be very easy versus if you have bigger quantity, you can then your price goes down per unit. And then because you have quantity, that's where you're making your money in volume. It's simple. Everything in economics works yes. that way. And in the dog world is the same thing. But then it gets thrown out. The, the comments get thrown out as, well, what do you do with the dogs that don't make it? What are we going to do? Our, our shelters are already too full. We already have dogs that are unwanted. So how do you address questions like that that come up? Well, uh, what I'm looking at with that is, uh, one, uh, my big focus is environmental. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm breeding the dogs. We're breeding the dogs that have the drive and motivation to mm-hmm. do the work. Mm-hmm. If I have a good environmental dog and he lacks the hunt desire, mm-hmm. And he's environmentally sound. I have other avenues. Sure. We, we know, even in this, this war we had, we had a million veterans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said this years ago, you know, there's going to be a big calling for assistance dogs for those guys, the therapy yep. dogs for those guys. Yep. And wow, look at the industry where it is now. Mm-hmm. 
I will have the dog will also be able to do that. Yep. He may not want to chase a ball. Something may have happened in his training sometime. Mm-hmm. He goes, hey, this really isn't what I want to do. Sure. But environmentally sound, he's good. Yep. A companion dog, you know, for, for people with PTSD and those type of dogs. Yep. Hey, I know I got three right now. I'm going to be perfect candidates yep. for that. Now, they'll be great food reward dogs. Yep. But they're just not the best on retrieving. Sure. Uh, because, and I knew that with their breeding, but mm-hmm. you know what? They're also gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we know pretty sales. I mean, sure. Look at oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, same here, man. That's why I'm, I'm here. There's two good looking guys right here at the table. People are like, what the hell are we going to do yeah, now? That's right. So, but, um, so that, and you're absolutely right. Plus, I look at that aspect. So you have a dog that may not work out for detection, but it's a great dog as an assistance dog for somebody with PTSD or, uh, some of our soldiers or even some of our law enforcement officers who deal with PTSD. That's right. These are some of the things that are for them. And because of this, it makes it more affordable for them to have a dog than the other means where they're out looking for training centers that specify or are specifically designed for therapy. In this case, you've already got a candidate. Hey, you know, the old saying is one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's right. In this case, it doesn't work out for detection, but it works out great here. Well, it makes it cost effective for that individual to then get a dog that they can use and what they do. So, you know, I agree with you that that there's there's a lot of avenues for these dogs to go to. And just because it doesn't make it as a detection dog doesn't mean it's automatically discarded and, and turned into a, uh, a pound puppy or turned over to a rescue. There's so many things because we started off, like you said, with quality genetics. We know genetically the dog is sound. It may not have uh, certain levels of motivation that we look for in a detection dog, but it does not mean it can't be used in many other aspects. Exactly. I mean, look at the bomb dog industry before pre nine eleven. Mm-hmm. All those dogs are what food reward dogs. Yep. If you very seldom would you find a dog that was a toy driven dog that sure. was a bomb dog. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it is. And there's still agencies that that's all they do. Yeah. So there's an there's an avenue there. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I plan on having more of the upper end dogs. Yep. yep. Uh, of those type, but there is those dogs that happen. Is mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and how we track things again, you know, I have one dog that had, uh, like you'll talk about dogs not making it. And, mm-hmm. and this one's going to be right on that border because of a, a mishap training, a uh, leash got hung around uh, a root. The dog was going after a tree, but it mm-hmm. sort of got uh, a negative aspect on that. Yep. And the dog was different from that. And, yeah. and that's part of our, our program. We're, we're keeping up with those type of things. And we say, Hey, this happened at that dog mm-hmm. there. And look what the difference is now. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, raising puppies are not for everybody. Yeah, no, and, and that's true. I mean, there's a lot of things in the industry that, you know, no matter what the industry is, there's people that need to be in the right spots. And then and somebody like you who's in that spot who loves doing that, you know, there may be another breeder who only, like you said, breeds once or twice a year at yeah. the most. They're not the ones that are going to be out there making the money in that kind of business that's produced in, in the numbers that makes it feasible to be a business that's producing dogs for working dogs world. But with that said, does it mean that dogs from someone that has a breeding once or twice a year doesn't have very good, valuable dogs that will can be also added to the inventory and fill needs that are out there for whether it be an agency, military, and so forth, looking for a dog. So collectively, us as a whole all work together but, you know, someone coming into it going, oh, I need to make so much money per dog, which means I have to charge this much money for the dog is the only way it works. Well, yeah, if you are in that scale, then that's the only way it would work for you. But doesn't mean it doesn't work. And that's the thing that, you know, when I had my Facebook post recently about this topic, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about it. 
the industry is going to happen. It's going to happen yep. whether it, you know people believe it or not. It, it, we are going to be able to – we have the genetics here in the United States for dogs. Am I not correct? You oh, see yeah. It over there. The best genetics in the world are right here. Yeah. So we have the we have the the product in a sense. We have genetics. Uh, we have great people here in the United States to, to do this. Where we've lacked is the process, yes. you know. And you've talked about that too a little bit to kind of discuss what's important in the process to to kind of get this going. You, you kind of touched a little bit of it, but the you know you have to be able to raise the dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so each day we have we have a training pro plan of what's going on and uh, and. and being able to say that day 22 that we do this with this dog. Now it may fluctuate a little bit mm-hmm. and, and, and we're, we're using, you know, uh, sense of approximation that we're doing simple to complex, teaching them a building and building with those dogs and, uh, teaching them how to start searching and, and environmental factors and those type of things with the dogs. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process that's going to, it's, got to lay out and there's going to be a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, involved with it. And that's mm-hmm. where it's, you know, the smaller people that, that uh, again, you know, I pulled everything I had out of my, everything I owned yeah. to start this up because yeah. I believed in it so yeah. much. And, and then I've, I've partnered with the, uh, I'm partnering now with the MK9 Solutions that mm-hmm. really want to take this very large yeah. and, and, and be able to produce those dogs. But it's uh, being able to keep up with that training process. I don't know if I'm really getting to your answer there. Uh, on each day of what to do and, 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 and step on that mm-hmm. for each, each dog. So what are some, so those that have a puppy, let's say someone gets a, a puppy eight, 10 weeks old. Um, you actually talked about some of the things that you do, some of the enrichment activities. Mm-hmm. Um, give people some advice of, you know, what are some good things to do with a puppy that will kind of help it one, a, be a good learner two how to cope with things. And then three, that kind of build that foundation for later for training. Well, uh, you know, Toy reward is the word it's at in our in our industry now. Everybody sure. wants that toy reward dog, and so in teaching the retrieve in in a um, in a manner that is you can keep the complete focus of the dog. Which you know, I'd love to teach that in a hallway. Mm-hmm. There, there's just me and the dog and nothing else, and, and a place for the teach and retrieve. And I don't start out on a kong. I don't mm-hmm. start out on a on a tennis ball. I start out with a, a rolled up sock. Okay, it's yep. very soft for the dog, yep. easy for them to get in their mouth. And I'll start with that, teaching them to retrieve and build up that drive for that. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? People want to go in there and they want to do it for 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, no. It's about three or four retrieves and yep. I'm done. Yep. You know, people forget to let's stop on a high note instead of, mm-hmm. hey, one more time. Okay, yeah. let's, do, let's do one more. And what happens with that? Yep. We're crushed, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, we'll start doing that part, uh, doing retrieves, uh, building them up there. And then I'll go up to a little bit. I like my second one's a paint roller. Mm-hmm. It's still got the same concept, okay. the same softness. They yep. can grab it really well. But it's a little bit bigger, a little heavier. Yeah. And then I might put a little something in it and make it a little heavier. Gotcha. And then I work on the prey drive later with teasing it with the with mm-hmm. the pole and those mm-hmm. type of things, uh, chasing after it. And then from that process, we, I start doing environmental. Once we get done with our shots and we mm-hmm. got all our vaccinations, mm-hmm. we'll go for our first uh walk to a, a public area mm-hmm. or we'll go in and uh, I may even carry the dog if it depending uh, where it is. Or if I do it, I take them in pairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I have yep. the affordability that we have uh, a lot of dogs, so mm-hmm. we'll take two at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, at that point you have a confident dog and one, yep. it's just maybe a little bit sure. sore. And I'm, sure. I'm pairing them two up. I'm yeah. not going to take two that might be a little leery of something together. Well, this confident dog's at the end of the leash going, I've got this. Watch yeah. me. Yeah. The other one's going, hey, he's fine with Bob. I'm going with Bob. Exactly. 
type deal. Uh, so we do do a lot of that. In, uh, and and that's you brought up a couple of good points there. One, which is the what we've learned in cognition, which was the one or two reps. If you get a great rep you, or two <laughs> reps, you can stop. Yes. The dog's memory, walking away with that clear memory of what happened that yeah. was re- reinforcing and rewarding has so much value versus numerous reps, though even in that set of numerous reps, there was good reps and it still ended a good one, but there was numerous other ones that were less desired, which com- confuses or uh, how do you call it, uh, convolutes the memory there yeah. of what uh, was really desired. And then the other aspect is, you know, the mimicking behavior, and you come from a background whether you've seen lots of hunting dogs and environments like that, and they use each other. You know, yeah. they teach from yeah. each other and they experience things from each other, and you can do that with young dogs very easily. You know, we've both seen it overseas. You know, the KMPV program yeah. has done that way. Um, uh, the prior show I just did, we talked about it with hunting dogs. It's the same aspect. You can use those things to your advantage, and you've got pups. You can why not? Absolutely. You know, uh, one thing, again, I've been in lots of different avenues. Uh, I learned from the old border collie guys mm-hmm. when I was training border collies. You know, when we're out there, there's 10, 12 of us, and they're all the border collies just staked out watching other dogs work and herd. Mm-hmm. Not dogs going, hey, you wait till I get my turn at that. Uh-huh. And, I, and I use those principles, too, with the puppies. Uh, still, you know, doing retrieves. Everybody else is watching. My one's getting a retrieve, mm-hmm. and, and, and they learn a lot. You know, Talked about the cognitive, and, and uh, I sort of laugh about it because when you came out to our place and did that, and I was going, "Hey, this is a bunch of hogwash." Yep. You know, type deal. And uh, hey, this is dirty science. And uh, and then and then I got to seeing it, going, "Hey, hey, hey, that's where it's at." This once we get done with this pilot program, uh, we we are we are changing yep. right, uh, the things that we're going to do because I totally see now how that is going to make all my training so much easier. I can't do it now, but as soon as we get done with this year-long study yeah. and research, I'm changing, and it, it will completely change our program. Yeah, no, it, I was going to ask you about that, so I'm glad <laughs> you brought it up because we even have guests in the studio that are that, that have got some exposure to this recently. So for you, you obviously took something away from that, and you know, I'm glad. That, but so, what's some of the things that you? What was something that you said that? Dang, that was. You know, I mean, it's just it's just simple things, but you know, uh, it just it, watching the puppies learn, yeah, and and, and problem solve without yeah. me stepping in again. Uh, you know, we're talking about self discovery stuff, and they're figuring out how to do things on their own. But how you can reshape your whole training program because this dog does it this way, and and how much faster it's going to make things. Oh my gosh! And again, it's all about the money. You know, yeah, the, the time, time is money. Is money. Yeah, you know, yep. and the faster I can get it done, and yep. the, the less work I have to do involved yeah. with it, I got another dog I can work on. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, as you, we, we talked about, kind of like the in, enrichment and environmental. Now we kind of go into odor. At what point would you typically? Uh, what's your advice for somebody uh, to introduce odor? Um, do you wait to a certain age? What do you look for? What do you do to get to that process? Well, uh, you know, we want to we have the desire, and we're probably at uh, now odor wise. Oh, we're talking about a toy for us, so sure. that's all we're doing. Yep. Uh, is uh, when they're, when they're about 12, 14 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do little hunts for them and let mm-hmm. them uh, start hunting for their toy. Mm-hmm. Uh, their retrieve's pretty good then, and it may just be uh, again with that age group. Their attention spans like a oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's got to be really quick. Yeah, we'll throw it into some short grass uh, mm-hmm. where they can see it, and then mm-hmm. next time just drop it inside just mm-hmm. a little bit and mm-hmm. listen to their little noses work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we also do, 
uh, their searching behaviors for food yep. uh, to reward for certain things. They, like we talked about uh, later or I mean, earlier mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the dogs uh, in their confidence course. Uh, without me being involved, they're dropping food across the little things where they're climbing, using their nose and go, hey, yeah. hey I, can, I can find something this way. Yeah, no, and you talked about, you know, before we got did the show, building a confidence course or an obstacle course that has all different types of footing, uh, climbing, all kinds of things. And if you introduce looking for food in an environment like that, think about how good the dog's going to be at navigating the environment with that goal of finding what they're looking for. And is that kind of what you're going oh, yeah, with? Yeah, yeah. So our confidence course, and we're building a new one now, uh, and it's got everything from graded stairs to open back stairs to closed off stairs, uh, slick services, uh, has a, a swinging bridges, uh, tunnels, all those things. And we just drop a little pieces of food everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and when we open up the kennels to go, Hey, go to confidence course, they are running to it. Yep. And, and, and they're just they're self discovery. Yep. They're, they're learning how to walk on open greatest. Now, Downside is my mm-hmm. dogs ain't afraid to walk on anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> including the, your kitchen counter. Can, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, cl- yeah, climbing up gates and, <laughs> yep. and and walking across cars. I mean, we we took a young puppy that was uh, about 15 weeks old into an environment the other day that was very stimulating, and it was jumping on boxes, climbing on tow motors, mm-hmm. uh, going underneath stuff. You think, hey, I've seen adult dogs not going to do this. Yeah, and, because we're building up that confidence, and they're doing it on their own. Yeah, I'm not here coaching them and, and begging them to do it. And like we said a while ago, when we get the running fits is when it's great to watch them, <laughs> when they're just running across uh, graded stuff that's five and six feet off the ground and and just ruin it. So our confidence course has got, again, those type of things. We have two or fours on their sides. Mm-hmm. We have uh, plexiglass where they're standing yep. on top of plexiglass, just yep. all types of things that they may see in the environment because you, you and I both know years ago, uh, that's the biggest washout of dogs with surface issues. Yeah. You know, wooden yep. climbs. Oh, yeah. Wooden, oh, yeah. The slick surfaces. Some of the European dogs, I remember back in the early 90s, yep. uh, you turn on a flashlight and they go, what the heck yeah. is that yeah. thing, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, so exposing those things as puppies, again, uh, and doing it in self-discovery. Ford Canine Training and Consulting. Ford Canine has a number of different seminars where I come to you and do courses such as canine cognition testing, detection using cognition, canine integration with tactical operations, the science of E, which is a class based on the understanding of remote callers and how to best utilize them, police canine decoy training, or if you need me to come out and consult or do certifications under CNCA, and PCA, National Police Canine Association, or even California Post. If you need any of these and more, go to my website, www.fordk9.com. On my website are a number of different classes and formats, as well as the ability to contact me and schedule phone or video consulting with or about your canine or your canine program. That phone number is 702-706-DOGS, D-O-G-S. Contact me either by email, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K-9.com, 
to schedule an appointment or a seminar, and I look forward to hearing from you. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help canine units. They do this by sometimes providing equipment that might be needed for a canine unit. Maybe it's training, finding a seminar that they fund to get a unit exposure to some training needs that they don't get normally through the routine monthly training. They also provide funds for retired canines who no longer have the support from their agency for the care as they get older. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is here for you, but they're also looking for donations to help this great mission and to help canine programs from around the United States. So if you're looking to help, you want to make a donation, go to www.gapoliceknumber9foundation.org. Again, that website is www.gapoliceknumber9foundation.org. Are you a canine handler in the West or Northwest United States and you're looking for a different or a new canine conference to go to? Then I would look at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference. This is going to be held May 18th to the 22nd in Walla Walla, Washington. I have been at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference now uh, more than a few times and it is a conference where you get classroom as well as multiple working dog stations uh, throughout those days. Um, It keeps you busy. You're not just sitting in a classroom. If you are a person who says, okay, I want some classroom, but then I want to go out and actually uh, apply some of the things that the instructors talk about, then the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference is a great one to attend. Uh, Last year, they had the NYPD Transit Bureau bomb dog teams there. Uh, the instructors and the admin from that program put on a excellent class. Then they went out and did scenarios from lessons learned that they've been through with the NYPD. It was uh, very eye-opening to say the least. Um, this conference is for narcotic and explosive detection dog handlers to include firearms detection dog handlers. For information to sign up and register, go to pnwk9.org. That is P as in Paul, N as in November, W as in whiskey, K as in kilo, nine, the number nine, .org. So pnwk9.org. Uh, sign up for the conference. Um, again, those dates are May 18th to the 22nd, and it's going to be in Walla Walla, Washington. Are you looking for a good three-day or a weekend-type seminar? Then check out the Sniff and Bite Seminars. Sniff and Bite seminars are ones where we spend a day and a half doing detection and a day and a half doing bite work slash patrol work, depending on what you do. So whether you're a civilian that does sport or you are a law enforcement officer working your dog as a either dual purpose dog or even single purpose dog, check out the Sniff and Bite seminars. I just conducted one a few weeks ago in Ocala, Florida with Carlos Ramirez. And everybody that went through that seminar was challenged in one way or another, whether it be detection or on the patrol side of things, the bite work side of things. Uh, A few of the officers got to kind of see some uh, levels of decoy resistance that they had not encountered probably ever. 
Every Sniff and Bite seminar is designed to challenge you, but also enhance your education as to the hows and the whys, and then we go out and actually do it. The next Sniff and Bite seminar is going to be held here in Las Vegas at Silver State Canine. Carlos Ramirez is going to come to Las Vegas. We are going to do our three-day seminar here, and we're going to add a new component. We are going to add some decoy training and education. So if you want to step up your game as a decoy, then make sure you show up for the Sniff and Bite seminar in Las Vegas. Detection-wise, we are going to push some limits there as well. You have my playground at Set City Las Vegas with all the tools I have at my home turf. So if you want to come and push yourself detection-wise, make sure you sign up for that seminar. The dates for that seminar, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. Go to silverstatecanine.com, go to the calendar, go to those dates, click on that and register. The next Sniff and Bite seminar will be held in Tennessee with Justin Rigney. I will go out there. That'll be held in May. Go to canineservicesunlimited.com, contact Justin to sign up for that one. On a side note, if you do not know Carlos Ramirez, Carlos Ramirez is a fantastic trainer and an excellent decoy. If you get a chance, go check out his website, carlosramirezk9.com. That's Ramirez spelled R-A-M-I-R-E-Z and then K9.com. So carlosramirezk9.com. Go check him out and I'll put a link in the show notes. And you brought up a key thing as we talked earlier too was you build your confidence course, but your confidence course is going to be modular in the sense that you can change things around because the dogs will get used to the pattern yes. in which the obstacles are set. And just by simply moving the obstacles around a different way totally changes the dynamic for the dog. So even though the dog has seen a particular obstacle before, but they're used to it in that cycle or that pattern. And by changing that pattern, change that cognition too, because now you're screwing with their memory in a sense yeah. and you're making them make an inference and learn something different because now it's just a different order. Yeah. Yeah. My my kids, that's their job. They, yeah. they, <laughs> and they enjoy that going in there and picking up this piece of steel and moving it around uh-huh. and take We haven't even have ladders and laying them different, uh, sitting them up on, uh, on top of uh, salt horses and, yeah. and it's got a backing and they crawl. They, they just enjoy that. And then letting the dogs loose and watch them play on it again and go, like you said, they go to it and go, wait a minute. Yeah, I keep playing King of the Mountain because that ramp is not there anymore. How do I get up there to the King and then watch them figure it out? Yeah, no, for sure. So if you were, because this question will come up, I'm sure of it. If you were to, let's say you had your dog and you're going to pick one of these pups that you're doing to be your, and you wanted to do odor and whatever the odor was, narcotic, yeah, yeah. explosive, what would you do or how would you introduce it and what age would you start going with this that process? Well, with the experience I have now, it'd be yeah. really early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it, 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 you know, probably, uh, they, it, easily 12, 14 weeks mm-hmm. we can start it, you know, okay. uh, uh, introducing. And then again, I'm going to do a self discovery on that one. Yep. Uh, I'm going to be hanging out and then I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to click or training. Yep. Uh, you know, the power uh, of the marker. Power people of the marker. Yep. Hey, and I'll be the first and people to know that will say, I said that was hogwash too. Yeah, you know, the, the, the day you know, getting older, you get a little more open minded about yep. stuff and not stuck into it and 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 where the industry is going. But that's what I would do. You yeah. know, I'd have I'd have it out there where he just he smells it. Click, boom, here's your yep. food. Yep. Click, click, and just start marking and doing yep. that. Uh, and when I started getting into marker training, 
uh, I thought it was really cool. And uh, Don Blair. Uh, yeah. Oh, Don, yeah. Don's I'll be having him on the show, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great friend of mine and Bob Bailey. And and, and oh, yeah. so they got me into it and, and uh, trained a rooster to run bases at a softball game. Yeah. Just for fun and to see what it's doing, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, and then I started doing little stuff with dogs, messing with them, uh, blind stuff where I'm hiding and, and marking with the manner minder deal. Yeah. I had yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah. Like, wow. You can really do a lot with this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and introducing those things. But that's what I would do. I would, mm-hmm. I, I, that's how I'd introduce it with, yep. if it was my own dog and just keep shaping from there. Because yeah. again, hey, I'm taking big dummy out of it. And yeah. The more we can take a, a handler out of it, yep. the better we are. Absolutely. And so you, you hit on that marker thing. And, and as we both know, being coming from law enforcement, it's a hard thing to get these, to get our industry to kind of wrap their hands around it. Uh, to really be willing to make a change. Um, it's growing. I think we've both seen it grow yep. quite a bit in the past number of years. Um, but the thing is, it's based on science. Yes. It's based on psychology. <laughs> Things that are going to be used against you legally yes. and you want to fight using it. Yeah. Um, it, it. It's such a powerful communication tool. And it takes, like you said, the other part, because those that don't use a, a marker-based uh, communication system what do they always face? It's the dog wasting energy and time looking at the handler as to when you might be reaching for your toy or what are you doing now that I know is always in the sequence of you yes. getting your toy out yeah, and or your food or whatever it is. And it's so problematic, but they just uh, – we have to be willing to evolve and and take what science and, and the other parts of the animal world have been using for so oh, long yeah. and that we haven't got our hands around that one. And that brings another th- question up, and, and I had asked again on another previous show, um, and you're watching the – you get on social media and you see all the different, like all Facebook warriors that went out <laughs> there with you know all the their thoughts and opinions. And again, within our industry, there's a lot of still methodology that's believed that's just antiquated. Yeah. But one of the ones that gets brought up from time to time is, oh, yeah, food dogs are far less reliable than dogs with a toy. Dogs with a- <laughs> So I'll let you kind of answer that question. True or false? Oh, is that- <laughs> false. Come on. Yeah. It, it's just, and, and, and the law enforcement industry, we're all macho. Yeah. Just plain yeah. and simple. And yeah. it's hard to change. And I was yeah. one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and then and I started to say, hey, it works. Yeah. I, I've seen some unbelievable food dogs. And me and you both yeah. with, do nose work work. Yes. And wow, some of those dogs, one of the nicest ones I ever seen was a poodle. Yeah. Right? I know. Oh yeah. my God. It was searched so good. You think, yep. like, holy cow. Yep. And, and, and no, I, I don't think that the, you know, there's, there's certain, uh, agencies yep. and, and organizations. If the dog doesn't have to be choked off of the ball, yeah. it's no good. Yeah. I know. That's their mentality. Yeah. yeah. You know, because there's just closed minded. Yeah. He doesn't, yep. if he, if he doesn't hold on to it good enough or he drops it, well, he don't have enough motivation. That's hogwash. Yeah. You know, and, and with the food, food dog, you know, we have seen some no good food dogs. Sure. You know, plain and simple. That, you know, just have no desire to do it do at anything. all. Yeah. But, I, but I've seen some absolutely wonderful, great searching uh, mm-hmm. food dogs. Hey, whatever makes it work. I don't care. I have a dog right now, Cameron. Yep. You know what his favorite toy is? What's that? A paint roller. Yeah. <laughs> he loves it. Yeah. He would do anything yep. for it. Hey, guess what that dog's reward is? It's a paint roller. Yep. I, I'm not making my program that. You're only only ten spots. That's it. all you can work. Yeah. What makes it work for that animal? That Absolutely. Gets the best workout. Absolutely. We always have to look at that dog as the individual in front yeah. of us. And so you brought the nose work thing. 
So you've been involved in it now for a little bit of time. There's a lot of listeners on here from the nose work world. So what's some of the, what do you typically spend a lot of your time discussing and teaching when you do your seminars? What are some of the things that you do uh, or information you want to share with most nose work people? Odor always pays. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's my biggest thing uh, that I preach on is, is odor always pays. Even though you made a mistake and you let the dog get back to the odor you already found once. Mm-hmm. The, my skin crawls when they say, that's okay. Let's find another one. Yeah. Oh, yeah come on that, now. Yeah. No, yeah. odor always pays. It, yep. it was your mistake. You let it get back there. Sure. Because if that, the whole theory is that we've got to find that, you can't decide that it's the time that it pays or time it does not. Yeah. Cause it's, it's conflict. That's right. It's right. So, you know, and then, you know, when I got into it too, um, I, I was teaching them as, as same like I do my puppies. I teach pattern by reward of the reward, okay. you know, finding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I teach pattern by finding your, your odor and, yep. and I let that teach my pattern. You know, the, uh, a lot of them are, are don't really want to do directed searches. Sure. I don't want to do directed searches either. Yeah. You know, that's back in the eighties and nineties sure. when we yep. walk around backwards and pointed yeah, pointed at everything. Exactly. Yeah. I want that dog to free search. So I'm going to teach him the pattern because mm-hmm. in nose work, it's about time, mm-hmm. finding everything in time. Yep. If I'm wasting time, my dog running around. So the biggest thing I tried to teach him is odor always pays and let's let odor teach our pattern to create speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ladies that really got me into nose work, uh, Sandy Fari, she, she said, Hey, you got to do seminars. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to start doing this. I said, Really? She goes, They need help. Please. Yeah. Well, she has a dog that is very, very slow. Okay. But I used the odor to teach the dog pattern and she started beating people. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, why? Because she located everything. She was very efficient yep. in what she did. Instead of letting your dog run around for two or three minutes in mm-hmm. a room, she knew she had everything searched and she was done. I just used the things that we use for bomb dogs and mm-hmm. those type of dogs to be able to clear a room mm-hmm. and teach the dogs how to search for odor Yeah, that way. Yeah. And it falls back into also the other big thing I think we both see is is handlers trusting their dogs. <laughs> re, re, being confident in reading what their dog is telling them. And But one of the things that doesn't happen near enough, and tell me what you've seen, is doing control negative, doing blank searches. They, it's, it's, they, everybody gets so focused on finding something, they become afraid that if they don't find something, it's a negative. I'll let you kind of address that. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, because what's most of our search is going to be most of the time? Negatives. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, 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 uh, the people don't want to do that because we always want to find that and the dogs know that too. But the dog gets so much more out of it and the handler, because what the handlers do when we run blanks, they start over searching stuff. You got right? it. Oh, man. Hey, yeah. this is the third room I've not found a hide mm-hmm. yet. I'm doing something wrong. They start slowing down. Dogs start reading off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I do it. We even with the nose work people too. We, mm-hmm. we do a lot of blanks and they go, I've never been to a room. I've not found uh-huh. something before. Hey, guess what? Welcome up. Yep. Uh, so it's those type of things and, and the dogs. And something I do too, and and, uh, and and I'll just get your opinion on it too. What you think is when I have a big search and it's mm-hmm. a negative, and yep. I get done and I walk out, mm-hmm. I give my dog his toy. Absolutely. You know, hey, absolutely. You, you didn't give me a false response. No, you did everything. I you asked did him. as trained. That way, buddy. Good yeah. To go. Wait, and people go. You rolled your dog. He didn't find anything. He doesn't. He cares? did his job. He did his job. Absolutely. Be <laughs> finding nothing. If there's nothing there, is still correct. That is correct. Yeah. And, and and again, it's it's sometimes the old wives' tale. Oh, I don't. Well, why did I pay him? You paid him for working. Yeah. 
And in cases when they indicate what they're looking for, I also pay them for that. But they don't work for free. Yeah. You know, how many of us are willing to go work constantly for free? Oh, yeah. But, they, you know, kind of going back into it, people become afraid. Um, and I'll take this now into the professional aspect. Even the professional world, when it comes to training, very rarely turn training into searching for nothing. They don't find anything. Yep. They're, they, they, we, as an industry, have a mindset of following a checklist of voters that we got to put out. And that is highly ineffective to what you do for real. If you're you're going to do a lot of searches that have nothing in it, at least you should. Yeah. You know, not every traffic stop yields a find. Um, if you're getting that much, you're in a very busy area, which I do get at times. But maybe you probably even need the dog to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. No, no. I, th- I think that goes back to like we talked earlier before we got on here uh, uh, of of those uh, European dogs, some of the hood dogs now that that have good toy drive, but they don't have the hunt. Correct. And and, and so. I think we also set up training for that because it. we want to make sure the dog is always successful and not really push the envelope of, hey, you may have to search a long period of time. You know, like uh, when, when I was at, at Vapor Wake in, in uh, Auburn, mm-hmm. our search was, a, our, we had a 30-minute search near and there. Sure. But now when I was going th- through school and first, hey, mm-hmm. you can't search over 30 minutes with your dog. Yeah. All right? Yeah. That's what? Like, oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. But that's the way you, you were told, yeah. and that's Correct. what you told us. I can't search for 30 minutes. Why? Yeah. Because I never trained for anything even bigger than that. And it had nothing to do with the dog's ability. And Auburn Re- uh, University did some research on that and had the dog searching for hours and hours Absolutely. without a break. But it's something you have to build up to. But if you go out and you're training for the day and you search three cars and the next time you search three cars, and you, guess what your dog's sustainability is? You got cars, it. Right? It's like in any athlete, any program, if you're training – and you only train to lift 25 pounds, That's right. you're not going to be able to go lift 50 right off the bat. Right. So you have to create your training to match reality. Or again, if you're a sport, training your training should match what you're going to go compete in and things like that. The importance that I think often gets overlooked, um, and it's due to fear, is if I don't put odor out, my dog will forget odor or become it's a, I, I, and you Tell me if I'm wrong. You answer this one. Have I have seen personally... A dog not worked in over a year go out and hit odor no problem. So do ha, have have you not come across something similar to that? And I, don't just forget it. No, absolutely. We did the same thing. We was Auburn and we had a Dutch Shepherd. It was just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, and and uh, we said, wow, we had a breeding program. Let's breed this Dutch Shepherd. Well, we, she's completely trained, and and then we put her up. Well, she never came into season mm-hmm. for an entire year. Oh, wow. Now she got out of the kennel, but sure. she never searched for odor. Yep. And we decided, okay. She's she just not going to come in season. Yep. I, I went and put out odor for her. Mm-hmm. She hit everything. She yep. had not searched at all for a year. She yeah. didn't miss any odor yep. anywhere. Yep. It, but it also goes back to imprinting correctly mm-hmm. and making sure that the dog understands the odor correctly yep. uh, and those type of things. And I think that was jumping, you know, chasing a rabbit a little bit there. It jumps back to the nose work. Yeah. I don't think a lot of those people imprint correctly that the dog understands that odor before Correct. I jump to the next one. Yeah. And, no, and but it, when that is imprinting is done correctly, mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. It is there. Yeah. And, and so speaking of imprinting, what are some of the techniques to do to imprint correctly? What are some high points that you would say are, are important? You know? Well, be, being consistent and, and a lot of people use the, the same type of thing, uh, lockable objects that to imprint so the dog can't look for that one. Yep. And hey, let me tell you, uh, you have the boxes like I have out yep. there that we do. And, and uh, when you have those type of boxes, the slanted boxes, mm-hmm. it even takes that one knot yeah. on that box. Yeah. Oh, it knows. That the dog, hey, mm-hmm. that's the naughty box. that has got the odor in it. And that's yep. why I like a lot of the stuff that you have there out here that 
uh, with your jars and stuff. Hey, it all looks the same. We can't yep. pick out that one thing. Yep. You know, my guys training one time, they decided they was going to write on the box. Nope. Yes. <laughs> I said, now you watch. And you sit there, the dog lined up, the imprint, and he'd look at the boxes, and he'd go, he, he would pick it out visually. Sure. I use my nose yep. to find it. Yep. And and so, uh, you know, just doing those things to be consistent. And, and my, the training program with odor, we said the dog had to smell at least 20 times mm-hmm. in one day mm-hmm. and have a positive on it without an assist. Nothing mm-hmm. was involved. Yep. We have to start understanding that odor. Mm-hmm. And then going to the open area uh, is where our next thing is. There's no visual out there. It's outside. Yep. We have a, we're doing that. And I do a lot of that with my puppies. I do yeah. a lot of open area. I mean, my I got puppies that search seven, eight minutes right now at five months old, four mm-hmm. months old uh, on a on a line looking for their toy. Yeah, and, and there's nothing out there, but they got to find it, find it with their nose and get to where it's at. And, and you're hitting another key, key point. Nothing teaches hunting or searching better than hunting and searching. That's right. And if you're constantly just stumbling into odor because it's five feet away or six feet away each time, you're not teaching any searching whatsoever. Yeah, I, I put a lot of I put a lot of miles on these old legs walking with these puppies every day. <laughs> I, I did one of them counters, and I was doing twelve miles a day. Yeah, uh, walking oh, yeah. with the dogs, and and we may walk uh, just on a long line with no preempt hay search, yeah, just yeah, walking. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I just make sure I'm downwind yep. of where that toy is at. Yep. We'll walk a quarter of a mile, and all of a sudden there's a toy, and like, oh, oh my God, it is out here. Yep. We cre- and, and they get rewarded. We play, and it's the greatest thing in the world. And, hey, I just spent 10 minutes, and I had great positive one find, mm-hmm. and I'm going to next dog. Absolutely. So, you know, again, we're saying a lot of things that many of the listeners keep hearing, which is searching teaches searching, <laughs> staying out of the dog's way, uh, using a bridge or marker-based communication system for the dog in that imprinting stage and then carrying it on, of course, throughout their life, the dog. But it's an important part in the imprinting stage as well. The other thing, as we now we've got kind of imprinting done and you're out there, and, you're, and again, training needs to evolve and start looking like reality. How important is doing blind and double-blind searches as well? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because it's self-preservation. No one wants to look bad. Correct. And, and, and you, you see that all the time with, with people that, uh, when you put out your own hides and stuff all the time, you may not realize it, but we put a camera on you. You're slowing down. Uh-huh. You're doing this because, hey, we don't want to look bad. Double blind is just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, uh, because now, and I've heard you talk on your podcast and stuff like yep. that, that you send them out there and, and they do it all on their own. Yep. Right. And they come mm-hmm. back. Um, I found one in room so and so. Well, uh-huh. hey, you're right. Here yeah. You go. Yep. Uh, I, we set up a, when it was Auburn University, we had the dormitory and I pulled the peepholes out of the rooms and turned okay. them around backwards. <laughs> and, and so when the students would go in there, yeah. you know, you, you're, you're baby, you're with them all the time. You're yeah, helping yeah. them. You're right there with Training them. Training wheels. That's right. Yeah. And, the, and the first time you're not in the room with them, they turn around and go like, Hey, what do you, whoa, 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 uh, whoa. Yeah. And, or they'll pull the dog off and run it again and hit it. And they go, uh, stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should, always shouldn't end in a question mark, whether it's blank and or you found something, you know. And, I, and we both, of course, see that quite a bit. And the industry as a whole was always scared to kind of do double blind because they're like, "Well, what if I make a mistake? What if ha-? mistakes are still learning?" That's right. Nothing. Do- you you always learn by screwing up. Yeah. Nothing's ever perfect. Always, all the time. Yeah. And even if you're a professional handler. The legal system absolutely understands your dog isn't perfect. Oh, yeah. So quit trying to make your training or anything you do be 100%. It's not going to happen. Even 90% not going to happen most times. The reality being, if you count all your training, 
it, you long as you're meeting the legal standards, which is in most cases for drug dogs, probable cause, um, and as we evolve with firearm detection and yeah. some other things as well, you, you long as you're, you're you're doing what's reasonable, and that's the any standard legally has always been the reasonable standard, right? So long as we're within those and we're constantly training and documenting training and our training matches what we do for real, we're great. Yes. But if, if training looks so different and, and I, I was talking with Justin on the podcast as well was, you know, how we were documenting things in training <laughs> didn't even come close. No. And now we have to do a lot better in documenting that, hey, I'm searching, you know, I went out, we did five traffic stops, no fines whatsoever. You know, um, I, and I don't need to put odor out and, and, you know, we do, like you said earlier, five rooms, yeah. two hides, five cars, two yeah. hides. None of that actually matches, again, what we're doing. Um, setting ourselves up to kind of back into that science aspect, you know, now that the, the forensic board is calling dogs a sensor and we're following mm-hmm. protocols based off of that. Uh, calibration. How important is odor recognition testing? Because I know you came from a background where that was heavily used. Oh well, yeah. I mean, it, it just validates it that your dog mm-hmm. understands that you're out of the picture. You're you're not doing those type of things uh, to cause. Uh, you know, again, we know the some of the old guys back in the day, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you set your dog up for that alert. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. and, and when I'm walking behind the dog and and he's doing it on his own, and I'm doing my odor validation, it says he knows that odor. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything involved with it. Yeah. It just, it's, it just, it and you have your proofing everything. and distracting odors present, right. so it shows the dog is not even indicating to those type of items either. Yeah, and, and you know, like you talk about the, you know, if you're not failing, you're not training right. Yeah, if if you're not putting your dog up to a test that he's having problems with it, there's something wrong with your training. Mm-hmm. You you don't want to be any better than what you are. Yeah, and 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 you got to document those things because there, there's nobody perfect. There's no dog perfect. Uh-uh. You know, uh, good Lord knows I've made many mistakes in my days. Same here. And good thing there's not a big line of uh, paper behind me with all of them right now. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? exactly. <laughs> no, and, 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 you know, like I said, we, we have to be willing to address those things and talk about those things and document those things. You know, the, as a training center, me and you're talking again, um, we, you, if you provide dogs to anybody, law enforcement, security, and military, you need to document the training from zero, keep track of all that stuff, and be able to pass that on to somebody. Absolutely. And in there is the do- how the dog learns. Yeah. And if I expect a handler who buys a dog for me to go to court and testify to that, they need to know how the dog was trained. And if we just go, oh, yeah, I just use a dry erase board and put down the things, and that's all I ever did, <laughs> yeah. then that's not going to cut it. You know, if you're a buyer and you buy a trained dog, that training center, I don't care who it is, needs to provide you with actually written or computerized documentation from day zero to day whatever it was, let's say six, eight weeks, four weeks, whatever it was, when you pick that dog up, they need to hand you something, correct? Is that yeah, absolutely and that's what we're doing too. You know, yep. from from day zero, uh, we have we have everything. The work birth weight, order it's born in, uh, weight of the dog. In day one we start we start our training at day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're neuro- neurological stimulation. We're, we're doing those that we have that for the first couple of days, and then we're starting this. So all those things having to factor, and now you have all that information. Uh, it, it, you have this dog that's always been really good, or you know, it, we have this problem. You know, we see a downshift in the dogs when they start teething, mm-hmm. and, when yeah. they, and you know, the, we have that documented, and then boom, he you know he went from a one to five, five being the best. He's been a four, and all of a sudden he's a two, mm-hmm. or, or there are two. Mm-hmm. Well, they went through that teething stage, and, and sure. we had those problems. 
or now we're hitting puberty where we're yeah. having uh, hormonal things, yeah. hormonal yep. things yep. going on, and they they go all to pieces. And uh, so you have all that documentation. Now you have trained, you have that from day zero to the time you bought the dog, and yep. then you also started doing your training records and and antiquating it accurately yeah. of what really yep. happened. Uh, you know, it, it's hard for people to say, "Hey, that's a false response." Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what do you mean? I, you want me to put down? A, yeah, I want yeah, you. To, I, want, I need you to absolutely. show that. Hey, the dog was wrong. Yeah. And what was the cause? Let's write it down. What the cause Ex- was. And then how did you address it? That's right. What did yeah. we do to fix those yeah. things? You know, did, how do we correct that action? And it shows those type of things. But you know, there's we know lots of those kennels that go out there. There's not a daggone thing you get when you pick up that no, dog. No, no. Uh, any kind here's of your X-rays. Here's your health certificate. Yeah. You know, on your way. And hope the X-rays are the correct ones. <laughs> so good luck yeah. with that. Yeah, there's that too. The uh, and, and what you're bringing up too is by us being transparent in our documentation of records, uh, willing to discuss that the dog isn't perfect and showing what errors occurred and how we addressed them also takes away the argument from defense cases or defense attorneys where they want to show that we're trying to hide something and they, yeah. and they, and they're going after the fact that you're trying to hide it. And so be straightforward with your training. And again, if you're using sound methodology based on science and psychology, what do you have to worry about? If your dog, if your dog isn't, let's say, up to snuff, then the dog gets, you know, maybe put into another program or doesn't work for this. That's how you move on. Yeah. But at least you can address it and document it. By us kind of just documenting and only talking about things that we find or all the good stuff, it creates that suspicion that they're trying to keep trying to dig for. Yeah. And then when we take that argument away by saying, "Yep, this is how we train the dog. The dog was this percentage accurate, so on and so forth," it, it's it just helps bolster the credibility of the dogs and the programs themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember, um, I can't give you the year, but mm-hmm. it happened in Knoxville, Tennessee with the the, narco- the cocaine and the dog's accuracy and all that mm-hmm. really brought up. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, so, of course, our attorneys, when I was a cop then, and attorneys got, hey, I need your training records. Mm-hmm. Hey, I brought in three, three ring, two-inch, three-ring binders mm-hmm. stacked full and mm-hmm. dropped them on the, the mm-hmm. table and went, mm-hmm. Uh, they never even cracked them open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, hey, I had it. Go ahead and look at it. I don't yep. care. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling the yep. truth of my records. Yep. I, uh, you're going to see shortcomings in there, mm-hmm. failures and mm-hmm. stuff. Then you'll see corrective action because mm-hmm. I make those notes. And the next mm-hmm. thing, I had the problem with this. I fixed it by yep. doing this. Yep. And then, uh, so it's just, it just, uh, it's, it's just vital to be able to keep up with those things. And with like our program, we're going to be able to hand you all that and you're going to yep. have all that stuff then. Absolutely. Then, it's, it's huge for, again, on that legal aspect. So with record keeping, how important, and because I've had my opinion on this, for people in nose work and sport to start doing yeah. record keeping. Yeah, that's a, again, that's another great uh, thing to bring up. And I told them, I said, uh, how many times, uh, what do you do with training records? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what, what odor do you have problems with? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What's what areas do you have problems with? What in? areas? Yeah. Trying, I said, so I made up a little form I gave them to keep up with it and it should be able to keep up with those things because even, you know, they may forget that uh, they've not trained on Annis in three weeks, uh-huh. right? Uh, you know, some of the ladies I had, one of the ladies, her dog hates Annis. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, you could like a dog, somebody punched it in the face. But something probably happened somewhere negative with that to make that dog not like that odor. Yep. What was it? Yeah. How do we correct that thing? Yeah. You know, um, so those type of things be able to track that and look at the training records and see mm-hmm. that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a time problem? Mm-hmm. Is my dog at three minutes starting to give me look back for help? Yeah. What's, what's the problem? Well, Hey, how do we address that? How do we correct those actions? Mm-hmm. 
it's all right there in front of you if you just yeah. read it. Yeah. No, and and I and I've seen it like you have. The I think the nose work world definitely there's lots of people that would do documentation. Um and, and those that want uh help with that, or if you guys are interested, you can email me and I'll put the email later on in the show here. Um and guys like Tim will will show you things to document. Yeah. And, and by just having that information at your fingertips to look at will help you plan your training. Right. As the old saying is, you can have a plan to train or, or, or have a plan that you're going to – how does it go again? Uh, you either, yeah, plan to train or, or plan to fail. Right. You know, your failure to plan is, is a failure to uh, – whatever. I'm screwing that all to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like George Bush on those things. I couldn't ever get it right. <laughs> but, but anyway – um, you, but you got to have a plan, yeah. and if you don't have a plan, you're going to fail. That's right, and that's what I think I was looking to say. Yeah. Um, so, and, and by having that information at your fingertips, you can then quickly go, like we talked about. Well, I need to train on Anis more, or right. I need to do more exteriors, or yeah, I, I, I annotated the other day where we're doing containers, and my dog did this, this, and this. Okay, good. So then, when you're at a seminar, let's say, and you're working with somebody new, that individual or that uh, instructor can look at that and go, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. This is what you do. Yeah. So, But sometimes we obviously have varying uh, levels of memory ourselves as we get oh, older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we might forget a crucial piece of information, which is why record keeping is, is really good, even in the hobbyist and sports side of things. Yeah. So, Wait, it, you know, it, it, you talk about that. Uh, I went to a seminar. I hadn't been to a seminar in years and, and didn't really say who I was and walked in there and, and, uh, uh, and went to it and a lot of stuff they were talking about uh, was some of the projects I'd worked mm-hmm, on mm-hmm, and, and those mm-hmm. type of things. And, and but my thing is when you when you stop trying to learn and get better, yeah, it, it's time to end. And, and I, I picked up things that I forgot about. Mm-hmm. I, I quit doing. Yeah, and, and it's going. Hey, why did you take that out of your toolbox? Yeah. Well, you know what? Probably just I just forgot about yeah. it and got to moving on to something yeah. else. But it was a vital step. And, and and when you have the correct steps and stuff, uh, it was always funny. Uh, Watching dogs and with my guys that are training and uh, and seeing something, go, hey, you know, how did the dog do with this step? Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's showing because of this. And so, if you have those training records and you could go back and look at them and, and pick those things up, you realize where where the problem is and be able to fix it that way. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you and I again had uh, we're making a plan going forward. We will be putting out a webinar based on. Uh, you know, the, the rearing and raising of young dogs for detection work. And uh, that webinar will be on social media, both on Tim's and on mine. And you'll be able to get some of the information you've seen on this podcast in a visual format by watching a PowerPoint or videos that we'll just use to discuss. But on that light, how do people get a hold of you? What's the way to reach, you know, 5B Farms? You yeah, know? well, we have a couple of things. We have the Instagram account, the the 5B. Uh, we have a Facebook account is uh, the 5B also. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's got the, our, our logo. I think our, uh, yep. I think our logo is You'll pretty You'll see cool. it in the pictures here that I post. Yeah. <laughs> on it and everything. Uh, or they can e- email me at, uh, the F I V E B farm at gmail.com, the five B farm at gmail.com. And, and I'd be glad to help out. And, uh, we're, we're so excited, uh, cause you go out and do seminars. You go out and help the, whether it be law enforcement and or, uh, the nose work world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure do go out and do those things. And, and we're excited about doing the webinar because, you know, 
there's a big push in the U.S. to get more puppies raised, mm-hmm. and we want to be able to help. Even though it's my business and what we're doing, we will be yep. able to help other people that want to raise two or three dogs yeah. and give them the right guidance that we believe works and, uh, and take Absolutely. what you want and leave what you don't. Yeah, because there's, there's going to be people that aren't necessarily breeders, but we need people to help raise the dogs. That's right. You know, And that's vital for the success in that process. So you know, those people that want to you know, look in the future here, to be a raiser of dogs, to be you know, working dogs in the future. This is something that's coming down the pike. So we're you know going to our webinar, you'll get to learn some of these techniques. Uh, or if you have your own dog, of course, you'll be able to apply these as well. So yeah, I'll put those contact details in the show notes. The, and for the listeners, it's just the number five and B, so just the, the number itself and five B farms. Um, and then, like I said, I'll put the link to your email in the uh, show notes as well. Um, again, I thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing some of the, the vast background you've got in detection dogs. Oh, th- thank you, Cameron. I, I really appreciate being here and I can't wait to do more to cognitive and building the things that relationship that we're going to do with the dogs because that's where the world is at now. Yep. And the, the better we can raise them as puppies and get them, uh, uh older and, and make the complete dog, uh, I'm fired up about her. I oh, yeah. Jumped into it. Same here. I mean, there are going to be some 5B dogs here at Silver State. So right. it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. So listeners, if you have questions or comments, please email me. My email address is Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K, the number nine, dot com. And until the next episode, I'll talk to you then. Well, that concludes that episode with Tim Baird. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope you took some information away, and I hope this sparks the conversation or helps us come together better in that goal of having a process to raise and select dogs from puppyhood to become the professional detection dog. I am always more than happy to help, like I said at the intro of the show. Um, and there are many others like myself out there who are happy to share information to help people like you guys out there create a process, you know, and again, you may not want to do it for, uh, the gains of a, either a breeder and or vendor. You may want to do it in just selecting a dog for yourself to become the next search and rescue dog for you, or you want to raise your own dog from a puppy to a detection dog whether it be professional and or even in nose work. There's tons of information that we have that will be coming out uh, in the near future, especially the uh, uh, research done by Dr. Evan McLean and uh, Dr. Emily Cohen. She used to be Emily Bray, so I'm not sure when the research paper comes out, uh, which last name it'll be. She's recently married as well. Um, That information is going to be very helpful in just some aspects of what kinds of tests were helpful in determining uh, potential working candidates. So it was a two-year research, and they did numerous dogs. And I can tell you from myself, I have at this point, I think I'm at 276 dogs tested uh, doing cognitive measures. Um, And that's a mixture of puppies to adults, mostly adults, but I have done probably at this point right now, uh, this is just a rough guess, Thirty-five to maybe forty puppies. Um, so, with that said, the main goal is to share information. So, the next canines talking sense uh, episode 
is going to be a double drop. We're going to do two episodes at the same time. It'll be the continuation of the interviews I did at the CNCA conference out in Palm Springs. Uh, the gentleman I interviewed is going to be Ted Douse in Mel English. Ted is a legal, he's a lawyer, uh, works in South Florida, has defended and worked on uh, many cases for law enforcement. And I'm going to interview and share some information from him in regards to better preparing yourself uh, on the legal front when working a detection dog. And Mel English, we talk about uh, some of the training techniques he does. Mel's a retired Las Vegas Metro canine handler with a ton of experience. So stay tuned for those episodes. Those will be a lot of fun and a lot of good information shared. The next uh, episodes I'll have geared towards the puppy development uh, will be in a few episodes from now. Uh, there's already right now three more episodes besides the two that I just mentioned that are already recorded and uh, set to air over the next month and a half. And then we will come back to the puppy raising aspect. So thank you guys for listening. Again, if you have questions, just email me, Cameron at FordK9.com. And thank you for listening to K9's Talking Sense, where it's okay to be nosy.